0: have a question for you today. How many of you enjoy hot coffee? Okay, how many you enjoy hot coffee? All right. How many of you enjoy cold brew coffee? Cold coffee or iced coffee? Okay, a lot of you. How many of you enjoy lukewarm coffee? <laughs> a couple of you. Okay, here's the deal. <laughs> we have great hot coffee out in our courtyard outside. We have great nitrile cold brew coffee in our coffee house outside, but we don't sell lukewarm coffee, all right? We don't do that because um, Jesus says he doesn't like it. No, I'm just kidding. He says... <laughs> <laughs> but here, I have a little thing today. Um, in some of the chair pockets all throughout the room have been hidden these little uh, gift certificates for a free hot or cold specialty drink of your choice. If you want to pick, check the chair in front of you and just see. Uh, There might be one of these. If you find one, just hold it up. And uh, for all of you in the front row today, we're giving you one just for sitting in the front row, all right? (laughs) So we're going to hand those out to you right now. Um, All right. Okay, now don't get too excited, all right? It's just coffee, all right? (laughs) But seriously... Come back, come back, all right? Seriously, here we have a letter in our text today that Jesus writes to the lukewarm church. Dr. David Jeremiah called the church of Laodicea the disgusting church. And that might seem kind of harsh to call them that, but I want you to notice again what Jesus said about them in verse 16. He says, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying to this church, when I look at you guys, it makes me want to hurl, okay? It makes me want to barf. It makes me want to puke. You get the idea. Now, Now, guys, think for a minute. All of you married guys, if you said to your wife today, you know, babe, every time I look at you, I just get this thing in my stomach, and I want to barf, that probably wouldn't go over very well, right? You'd probably be on the couch tonight, or better yet, probably out in the backyard in the doghouse with the dog if you said something like that to your wife. But that's what Jesus, that's how he addresses this church. Now, it's interesting that the church of the Laodiceans is one of Two churches that Bible scholars say as they look at these seven churches, and these seven churches actually represent different aspects in church history, that these final two churches of Philadelphia and Laodicea actually represent the church, what the church would be like in the last days. That it would be like the church of Philadelphia, that the church is on fire and it's looking for to walk through the open doors and opportunities that the Lord gives them, or that they would be like this church, the church of the Laodiceans. So that's an interesting thing for us to think about tonight. And there's two big ideas that I want us to consider today as we break down this passage. The first is this, how to avoid becoming lukewarm. You might be sitting here today and thinking to yourself, well, I'm not lukewarm, man. I'm, I'm passionate for the Lord. Okay, that's awesome. So how do we avoid? I think there's some things we can learn here about how to avoid becoming lukewarm. But maybe you're here today, and as we begin to talk about this, you might find yourself thinking, you know, he's kind of describing me. Maybe I am kind of becoming, or maybe I am lukewarm. And so the second thing we want to note today is if that's the case, how do we change our condition? But the first thing I want you to note today is that Jesus doesn't discard this church. He might say of them, hey, when I, when I see you, it makes me want to vomit. But he doesn't discard them. He's not done with them. He's actually pursuing them. He's coming after them. He loves them. In verse 19 it says that whom he loves, he rebukes and he chastens. That's what a good parent does. He loves his child, so he's going to chasten them when they step out of line because he wants to help steer them in the right direction. The chastening is a part of God's love for his kids. And Jesus is the great physician. And as the great physician, he sees this sick church. But he comes to them seeking to make them better. He comes to them looking to help them get healed. And I want you to notice also the way he reveals himself to them. In verse 14, he says, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I want you to notice that, first of all, Jesus identifies himself as the Amen. Amen. That word is a, a word and a phrase that Jesus actually used often in his teaching when he would say, verily, verily, I say to you, or truly, truly, I would say to you. It's that same word. It's amen, amen. It means so be it. And it speaks of, of his you know, heart to speak truthfully that Jesus is saying, look, truly, truly, what I'm going to say to you is the truth coming from the heart of God. And so the thing that we are noted here is that, that Jesus, his word can be trusted. He calls himself also here the faithful and true witness. In other words, with Jesus, there's no fake news here, all right? He's a doctor who is a straight shooter. He's not going to beat around the bush. He's not going to you know, sugarcoat anything. He's going to tell you what's going on. He's going to tell you what's wrong. And he's going to tell you how it can change. Now, I don't know about you, but I, that's what I want in a doctor. I want a doctor who's not going to sugarcoat things. He's not going to beat around the bush. He's not going to, you know, but he's going to be a straight shooter. I went to a doctor a few years ago. And the doctor said to me, and he, I like this doctor. He's a straight shooter. And he said, Rob, I've got to tell you. He says, strokes run in your family. You know, your dad had a stroke. His dad had a stroke. His brother had a stroke. And so you are, you know, in danger of having a stroke. So here's what you need to do. You need to start eating better. You need to lose some weight and you need to start exercising more. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't like stoked when he said that, but I appreciated it because he loved me. I appreciated that he was being real with me. Jesus is a doctor, the great physician, who's a, a straight shooter. Jesus also identifies himself to them as the beginning of the creation of God. Now, that doesn't mean that he was first. Make sure you understand that. That word beginning literally means the source of all creation. You see, Jesus has always been. He's the second person of the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But he's the source of all creation. In fact, John the Apostle, speaking of Jesus, said this in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And check this out. And all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus, he's the source of all creation. This speaks of his deity, that he is God in human flesh. The title, The Source of, of All Creation, is an awesome thing to hear about your doctor, especially when he is a sharp or straight shooter. Because when he says to you, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you straight, here's what's wrong. Him being the source of all creation, you know that okay, and he has the power to make me better. He has the power to heal me. Now, the other thing I want you to notice is the reason for their condition. I think there's two things that we see in our text. The first is that they were self-sufficient. Look at verse 17. It says, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now, some background on this city will give us some insight into what's going on here and why they looked at themselves in that way. The, the, La- the city of Laodicea was located about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Ephesus, remember, was the first church that we talked about. Laodicea was part of a tri-city area known uh, that consisted of Colossae and Heropolis and and um, Laodicea. And Laodicea, though, was famous throughout the Roman province of Asia as a center of wealth and affluence. It, it, we could look at it today. It was like the La Jolla of its day. It was a place where there was heavy commercial activity. There was a banking center there. It was sort of the Wall Street of its day. And because of its wealth, the Laodiceans were self-sufficient and in a very independent city. In fact, in AD 61, there was a earthquake that rocked their city. It devastated their city. It caused a lot of dis- destruction in their city. But the Laodicean said to Rome, when Rome wanted to step in and kind of bring federal aid, the Laodiceans said, oh, we don't need your help. We- we've got this. Imagine that today. Some hurricane or earthquake you know, hit some state here in the United States. Can you imagine a state saying to the federal government, oh, we don't need your help, we've got this. I mean, maybe Texas, right? I mean, they, they might do that, but no one else. That was Laodicea. We, we don't need your help. We, we've got this. We're self-sufficient. The Laodicean, Laodicea was also home to a textile and clothing industry that was famous for their black cloth and their black wool. And Laodicea was also known for its medical center and medical school in which they produced this eye ointment that was used throughout the whole Roman Empire. So here you have this city that was A center of wealth, a center of fashion, a center of medicine. You could say that Laodicea was sort of a B of A, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Mayo Clinic all rolled into one. And the wealth that permeated that city had also benefited the church. The church was comfortable. The church was sufficient. They were raking in the dollars, and they, they were capable, really, of doing anything that they wanted to do. But here's what's interesting. Comfort can lead to complacency if we're not careful. careful. You know, it's interesting. I think all of us, we crave comfort, don't we? We crave it. We long for it. We, we want to be comfortable. Comfortable. But sometimes when things get easy for us, when things get comfortable, it can affect our spiritual life. We come to a place where we become less desperate. When we get comfortable, the things that we used to pray about all the time, we don't pray about anymore. Because now we can just write a check. You know, now we can just afford to take care of it. You know, in the... 30 plus years that I've been involved in ministry and the 24 years that I've pastored this church, I've never, ever felt that ministry was easy. I've always felt like it was difficult. I've always felt like, you know, just always a struggle. I've always felt that way about being in ministry. And it's interesting, about 12 years ago, there were certain guys in the church that I I knew I was friends with and, and several of them, they own their own businesses And they were about my age. And in their businesses, they they got to the point where literally their businesses were almost running themselves. I mean, it just had become that easy. And I remember looking at them and kind of being envious. And and I remember having this conversation one day with the Lord. I said, Lord, is this ever going to get easy for me? Am I ever going to feel like it's just kind of rolling along? And it wasn't audible, but it was so clear. The Lord just said, nope. And then he told me why. He said, because I want you to stay dependent upon me. And for me, that was a big deal. And so I've always felt like, you know, I still do. (laughs) Like, okay, this is a struggle. We don't know what we're doing. But it keeps us dependent upon the Lord. And, you know, I think this current COVID crisis, for many, this has been about God shaking us out of our comfort zones, it's been about God shaking us out of our routines, where we suddenly find ourselves in a place where we literally don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know when this is going to change, or we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And and we found ourselves in this place where this this whole season that we've been in, for many of us, it's increased our prayer life. It's brought us to this place where we're having to cry out to the Lord more and more because, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. God, can you help me? But we don't always like that, do we, being in that place? But it's so good for us. And maybe God has used this current season to shake you out of your comfort zone, to shake you out of your routine. I want to encourage you, if that's the case, don't disdain this time. That's our tendency. We want to disdain this time. Don't disdain this time, but I want to encourage you to embrace it, to lean into it. Stop asking, "Why is this happening?" Or "When is this going to be over?" And start asking, "Lord, what are you trying to teach me right now, and how do you want to use me in the midst of the season that we find ourselves in? Can I encourage you to learn to steward this disruption? To, steward it, to say, okay, God, what do you want to do in the midst of this? You know, I think it's also interesting to, say, to, to, to note about this church and being so, you know, affluent as they were is that there's not many of us here who would, would have that testimony that would say, I'm rich and wealthy. I have need of nothing. <laughs> That's not our story. Most of us are still working really, really hard. A lot of us here, we have no idea if we're ever going to be able to retire, and or what that's going to look like, so this you know testimony that they have, we really can't relate to them financially. A lot of us here in this room, room, but 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 how many of us? I want to just throw this out—a little bit different kind of thought. How many of us might be prone to say something like this when we hear maybe that there's a new Bible study starting? Oh, I don't need to go to that. I've studied that book of the Bible so many times. I've got that down. I, I don't need to go to that. Or when there's a new opportunity to, to serve that, that maybe our first thought is, you know what, I've served a lot already. I've been serving for years. It's somebody else's turn. Let them do that. You know, it's interesting when the, the COVID hit and kind of the effect that it had on churches, really all over the world, but here in the United States, you know, the pre-COVID stats for church attendance was this, that here in America, Christians attended church, the average Christian attended church 1.3 times a month. That's the statistics. Now, I've told many of you or all of, you know, I've told you guys many, many times that I'm so thankful that you're not average. That you see the value and the importance in fellowship and in being together and in studying the word of God. But the national average of believers was this, that they attended church 1.3 times per month. But here's what's interesting. When COVID hit and churches went online only, online viewing skyrocketed all over the world. I mean, people were, their, churches were having more views of, of people viewing their services than they ever had before. Let me give you an example. Here, prior to COVID, our, our weekend attendance ranged somewhere between 12 to 1,500 people, 1,500 adults. When COVID hit and we went online, our viewing each week was over 10,000 people. It was incredible. It was crazy, but here's what's interesting. Now, all over the world, people have stopped viewing. In fact, Greg Laurie, his church, their average weekend viewing prior to COVID was over 10,000 people that viewed their services online. It shot up during COVID, those first two months, to over 130,000 people that were viewing their services. Now, today, it's down 75%. I know some of you are thinking, like, "Yeah, I get it. I got tired of viewing church online. That's partly why you're here. <laughs> you got tired of viewing church online. I did too. I got tired of watching me um, <laughs> <laughs> preach. <laughs> it's kind of a weird experience, to be honest with you, to do that. But here's what even what is even more alarming." is according to the Barna poll, recent poll, 32% of practicing Christians have not only stopped viewing services, but they have stopped attending church altogether. And 50% of millennials have stopped attending church altogether. I think that's a sad statistic of the church culture in America right now. It's a mentality that basically says, I'm okay. I'm okay. I've got this. I don't need, I don't need that. That's not that important. But that's not what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, God said, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but not you, exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And guys, we see the day approaching, don't we? And we need to be stirring one another up. We need to be like the coals in the fire, you know. You put the coals in the fire and put some you know, lighter fluid on them. You light a match and you stir them up. What happens? They get hot. But you take one of them out and put it by itself and what happens? It's fire goes out. Unfortunately, that's happening to a lot of people right now, I think. So here's the first big idea that we want to consider. How do we avoid becoming lukewarm. How do we avoid that? If we've been in a place where maybe right now we're saying, man, I just feel like God's doing something. How do we avoid getting back to a place where we suddenly become lukewarm? Here's the answer. Stay active. Stay active. You see, the quickest way to become lukewarm is to do nothing. When the service first started, a lot of you weren't here yet, but for those of you who were, you noticed that I poured some hot water into this cup. And right now, you know, this cup is barely lukewarm. Why? Well, it's been sitting here. It's been sitting there for 35 minutes, doing nothing. And the fire, the heat that was in the cup has suddenly become cold. It's become Lukewarm. So how do we stay hot? How do we come to a place where we don't stagnate in our relationship with the, the Lord? We need to be people, listen, who are being poured into by Jesus and then being poured out by Jesus onto life-giving things. The people that are around us. We get poured into, we pour out, and then we get poured into again. That's how we stay hot. That's how we continue to, to burn brightly as we keep coming to the Lord and we keep allowing Him. It's like when you're in the, you know, the diner and the waitress comes and she's topping off your, your coffee cup. What's she doing? She's continuing to make God. We need to be in that place where we're continually, we realize our need to be continually being filled by the Lord. But in order to be filled, we have to be being poured out, church. We have to be walking through the open doors that God puts before us. We need to put ourselves in a place where we're willing still to be stretched by the Lord. You see, when we get stretched, it's uncomfortable, but it's so good for us. That's when God really does something special, right? It's when you find yourself in a place where you're like, I have no idea. Like, I've, I don't think I can do that. But, but I feel like God's calling. I'm going to take this step. And he used you. I remember the first time I ever taught a Bible study. I was a freshman in college. Pastor Brian Broderson, who used to pastor this church, was up at Calvary Costa Mesa. He was on staff there. And he came up to me one day and he said, hey, I've been teaching this Bible study at University High School and I can't teach anymore do you want to go do it? And I was like, I've never taught a Bible study. I wouldn't even know how to begin. And he's like, oh, God will show you. I think you should do it. So I prayed about it, and I went and did it. I didn't know what I was doing. I basically just shared my devotions. I I went in, and like, hey, this is what I read today, and, and this is kind of what God showed me. And guess what? These kids, they liked it. They asked me to come back. And come back again. And then they told some friends of theirs at, at uh, Woodbridge High School in Irvine. And, and they called me and Hey, can you come to our school too? And so all of a sudden now I'm doing, never done Bible studies in my life before. Talk about being stretched. This might surprise some of you, but I've never liked talking in front of people, it's not my thing. Especially if I have to talk about anything besides Jesus and the Bible. So I was like way out of my comfort zone. But I felt like God was saying, Go do this. And it was crazy because both of these school groups they started to grow. Summer came and like, we want to keep meeting together. And so we they they moved both groups combined in a house. I'm meeting, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm meeting with eighty kids in a house one night a week during the summer just to talk to them about Jesus. And I'm sure, I'll just say, I'm sure I taught some heresy um, during that time. (laughs) I think God just glossed over that because I had no idea what I was doing. But I was willing to be stretched. And when you're willing to be stretched, God can do amazing things. And we come to this place. I think one of the ways that, that we avoid becoming lukewarm is we don't get stagnant. We stay active. We stay open. We stay as people who are seeking the Lord and saying, God, I need you to fill me, and today I want you to pour me out. I think one of the best things that any of us can experience on any given day of the week or for sure by the end of a week is that we just feel spent for Jesus in the way that we just feel like he's poured us out all week long. But when we're being poured out, we realize, okay, I'm going, I'm being poured out, but I need to be poured into. And so we come to him and it's like, okay, Lord, fill me, fill me afresh. So the first reason for their lukewarmness was their self-sufficiency that led them to become comfortable and complacent and stagnant. The second reason was their self-deception. Notice verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. And I'm need of nothing. Here's the key phrase, "And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked." They said, this was their thought. this was their perception. Man, we are wonderful." And Jesus said, "Not really, you're wretched." They said, "We are marvelous." And he said, "No, not really. you're miserable." They said, oh, man, we are prospering. He said, ah, actually, you're poor. They said, oh, we are beholding. He said, no, you're blind. They said, we are clothed in Prada. And he said, actually, you are naked. And things are so bad. Look at verse 20. That Jesus is outside the door of this church knocking Trying to get in. Think about that. How crazy is that? We often use this verse in talking about evangelism and how Jesus is knocking on the door of people's hearts. And I think it can be used in that way. But the uh, the original context is Jesus is standing outside the door of a church, knocking on the door because they've pushed him out. I want you to notice verse 15. Jesus said, I wish that you were hot. Or cold. Why does he say that? I wish that you were hot. Well, hot is good. It's like it's on fire, right? Hot is good. Why cold, though? Well, when you are cold, at least you know that there's a problem, right? Like you're cold. like, oh, it's cold in here. Sometimes I see some of you, you know, you're cold, the air conditioning is on, and you're cold, and like you're putting on your jacket, and, and I like it when, when it's like that, though, because you pay attention more when you're cold, all right? <laughs> Sometimes, though, I see some of you, you're hot, because you start fanning yourselves, you know? Especially when we used to you hand out bulletins, it's like I'd see this going on all over the room, and I'd be like, guys, turn the air conditioning on, they're hot in here, um, but he's saying that, and that's basically what he's saying. Hey, well, you, you know when you're hot. You know when you're cold. When you're cold, do you, you know there's something going on. I need to get warm. But when you're lukewarm, it's like you don't know. It's like you're just in that place. I hate when this room gets lukewarm because I start seeing you guys nodding off <laughs> when it gets lukewarm. And that's what he's saying. I wish you guys were hot on fire or cold, at least you would be in a place cold. Is like they're not born again yet. They know that there's a problem. They know that there's a need. They know that they need Jesus. And if you're here today and you're in that place, like I know there's something wrong. I'm missing something. There's a void. It's a good indication that probably, yeah, you're cold. And the reason is, is you haven't given your heart to Jesus yet. And he wants you to open up the door of your heart so that he can come in and fill you. But the church of Laodicea was completely deceived about their condition. How does that happen? That type of deception. I think it happens when we measure things by the wrong standards. They were measuring themselves by what they had and by what they accomplished. It reminds me of the story of the farmer that Jesus talked about who had a bumper crop year. I mean, just like he raked in the, a harvest. His harvest was so big he had to build bigger barns to hold all the harvest that he was bringing in. And when he finally had harvested the whole crop and everything's in the barn, he goes up, he's sitting on the front porch, and he's like, man, I can eat, drink, and be merry. I'm ready to retire. And it says that Jesus appeared to him that night and said, you're a fool. Because this night your soul is required of you, and you are not rich toward God. Those who are lukewarm are not rich toward God. So how do we avoid that? How do we avoid falling in that? We keep active. We don't settle. We look to be stretched by the Lord. We want to stay dependent upon Him. But what if we have fallen into that? What if we have come to a place where we're just not as passionate about the things of the Lord as we once were? And maybe we come to a place where the the fire, because we've just been stagnant, the, 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 the heat in our lives for Jesus has begun to dwindle. How do we change our condition? Look at verse 18. We see the divine remedy that Jesus gives to them. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Note the end of that. Jesus is saying, I really want to be close with you. I want fellowship with you. But what does Jesus mean when he says to them, I want you to buy from me? I mean, isn't grace a free gift? Absolutely. It's a free gift to us that costs God everything. It cost him his son. But I think the point of what Jesus is saying here is this, not that they were to try to buy their salvation or buy their way back to God, but I think the point he's making is this, repentance is costly. Turning from one thing and turning back to the Lord is costly. Repentance is costly because it means turning away from things that have taken the place of Jesus in your life. These guys were sufficient in and of themselves because of the things that they had and because of what they had accomplished. And Jesus is telling them that they needed to see their sufficiency from him. They needed to get back to a place of being dependent upon him. So this idea of buying is symbolic of the cost to put things back in order, to make things right in their lives. They had their confidence in gold and silver and, and in their ointment and in their garments and in everything that they had accomplished. And that's what Jesus addresses. He's pinpointing now in your life, maybe it'd be something different that he would say, hey, th- this is what the problem is. But I want you to notice this. The heart of Jesus is always to cover shame. You see what he's doing here, and this is what the, the word of God does. It convicts us. That's the Holy Spirit, he'll he'll convict you, but he's not convicting you to push you away from God, he's convicting you to pull you in. The devil is the one who wants to condemn you, to push you away and say, oh God wants nothing to do with you, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit is the voice that wants to pull you in and say, hey, I know you have shame right now, your nakedness has been revealed. We don't like that, but it's good. But Jesus always wants to cover up shame. And here's what's so interesting. In the first sin in the garden, we, we, we see where Adam and Eve sinned, right? You guys know the story. Genesis chapter 3. And it says that after they ate of the forbidden fruit, that they suddenly realized that they were naked. And it says they were ashamed. And they tried to cover themselves up. And it's so cool in that story because God comes into the scene and he basically gives a prophecy of what he's going to do in sending his son who would come and bruise the head of the serpent, actually crush the head of the serpent, in order to do what? To give his life to cover our shame. That's what Jesus has come to do. That he might clothe us in his righteousness. And this is what he's wanting them to see is, hey, Open your eyes to your real condition and come to me so that I can clothe you, so that I can cover you. And I want you to note this, this verse, the last part of verse 18, I think is so interesting when he says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. What does that speak of? Anointing of the eyes. Anointing in Scripture is usually symbolic of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit the Bible teaches who opens our eyes for us to see and understand our need of God. It's the Holy Spirit who seeks to open our eyes to see the truth. It's the Holy Spirit that seeks to lead us and empower us to live for Jesus, to see the world around us through the eyes of God. Anointing speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John chapter in John's epistle in First John two twenty says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says in Second Corinthians one verse twenty one, and now he has established us with you in Christ. Who has appointed us is God and who has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Here's what Jesus is telling them, that they need to get back to that place of being sensitive to his Holy Spirit. They need to get back to that place of being led by the Holy Spirit. They need to get back to that place in their lives where they are daily being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They need to get back to that place where they are yearning daily for that fresh, daily filling of God's Spirit where they recognize, hey, I can't do this by myself. He's wanting them to see your sufficiency has been in all of these other things and it needs to be in me. Your dependency has been in all of these other things and it needs to be upon my spirit living in your hearts to empower you and enable you to be who God has really called you to be. So if you're here today and maybe Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and you're like, you know what, that's me. I, I feel, I think I'm, I'm lukewarm. Listen, you need today to ask the Lord to light a fresh fire in your heart, to acknowledge the diagnosis of Jesus, the great physician. You know what? I don't like that, but it's true. And I want to change. I'm going to ask the band to come back up right now and as we begin to close out our, our service here. But I want you to notice verse 19 for a moment once again, where he says to them to be zealous and repent. The word repent means to have a change of mind about your condition. In other words, it's to see yourself rightly. To have a change of mind about your condition. To see yourself the way that Jesus sees you. And then that change of mind turns into a change in direction. The word zealous, though, means to make it a priority to make the desire to see your condition change a priority. It's to make it a passion. It's the idea of saying, God, I want to be all in. Somebody who's being zealous doesn't say, you know what, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll deal with that next week. Now, somebody who's being zealous is saying, you know what, I see what you're saying, and God, I want you. And I think the Lord is calling us today to that type of response. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I'm going to come into him. I'm going to dine with him. I'm going to fellowship with him. I'm going to get close to him. I'm going to fill him. He's knocking. The question is, how are we going to respond? As we close out our time today, here's what I want to do. First of all, I want to ask you all to stand right now. We're going to sing a song right now that I want to encourage you to make it your prayer. Make this your prayer today, to cry out to God. If you're here today and you're like, hey, I'm on fire. I'm I'm more on fire for Jesus than I've ever been. That's awesome. You want to avoid becoming lukewarm. You want to stay that way by continuing to pour out and be poured into. And so you ask God today, God set a fresh fire in my heart. I want more of you. That's the cry. God, I want more of you, not less. I want more of what you have for me, not less. But maybe you're here today and, and you, you're like, you know, Pastor Rob, I, I really feel like you're, you're, kind of, you're talking to me. I'm, I might not be lukewarm yet, but I'm kind of heading in that direction. You need to say today, God set a fire. You need to say, Lord, I'm willing to lay aside the things that that I've become so sufficient in that I might, Lord, by my sufficiency and dependency on you. And it's interesting in the Bible when it talks about worship. The Bible always views worship as a full-body experience. That's why the Bible talks about raising our hands, clapping our hands, making a loud noise. It's a full-body experience. It talks about kneeling, kneeling, as God's saying, I want you to be all in. And in this moment right now, as we're going we're to worship. I want to encourage you, if you're, especially if you're in that place, you're like, Lord, I need a fresh filling. Is, as we begin to worship, you just lift your hands like this. Like you're a football player ready to receive a punt. And it's a, the, the demonstrative way of your body language saying to God, I need a fresh filling. So, Lord, I'm ready to receive that. Fill me. And let's allow God to just meet us right now in this moment as we cry out to him. Amen? Lord, we bring our hearts to you. God, we want to be real with you. We want to be honest. And Lord, we want to just cry out to you to do a fresh work in our lives today. We love you, Jesus. As we begin to sing the song, maybe you want to come and just kneel up front here. You can do that if you want. Feel free. Carpet's padded. Just that place of just surrender and humility. But church, let's, let's cry out to Jesus right now as we sing this song together.